What do ancient astronomers, mercenaries, athletes, and politicians have in common? Join your three lame hosts as they take an irreverent, lived-in look at disabled figures from ancient Egypt to the 20th century. Come take a wild and accessible ride exploring a side of history they probably didn't teach you in school. This This is Lame Lame History. History. Hello, my name is Kevin. I'm an author, photographer, and former TV show host who was born without legs. I'm a congenital amputee with double hip disarticulation, which basically just means that no femurs formed in the hip sockets of my pelvis. I live in Montana and typically walk on my hands or use a skateboard to get around. I'm Caitlin Michelle. My friends call me Katie, my students call me Miss, and my twins boys call me Mommy. The doctors who delivered me didn't know what to call me when I was born without a left forearm, and now I guess I can call myself a podcaster. Hello, my name is Scott. I've been in the plumbing, construction, and service industry for almost 20 years, including owning my own plumbing company. I'm a former competitive paraclimber. I was born with only part of my right hand and had several surgeries to Shiner Children's Hospital to increase my dexterity. I'm married to a fellow, now former paraclimber, and we have twin toddlers who outnumber us in digits and outrun us in general. Welcome to Lame History, the podcast about how disability and disabled people help shape the world as we know it today. The year is 1942. World War II is raging on, and Nazi-occupied France has become too dangerous for Cuthbert to remain there. Fortunately, he has an escape plan in the form of a 50-mile trek into Spain via the Pyrenees Mountains. The trail remains covered in snow throughout the year, but the early November chill is especially frigid and unwelcoming. Cuthbert's journey takes him past glaciers, through dangerous paths of deep snow, and over steep boulders covered in ice. As the bitter cold sets into Cuthbert's joints, it becomes increasingly doubtful whether he will even make it through this arduous journey. But that's okay. Because Cuthbert is not the hero of our story, nor is he even a person. Cuthbert is the name Virginia Hull gave the prosthetic leg that replaced the real one she lost several years before she became a spy and changed the course of World War II and history as we know it. All things considered, Virginia Hull had a pretty normal family life. She was born in Baltimore, Maryland on April 6, 1906, and grew up nearby on Boxhorn Farm. She was smart and popular amongst her peers. The boys wanted to date her, which prompted her friends to jokingly call her Donna Juanita. And the girls voted her class president of their class at Roland Park Country School. She was also what some would call a tomboy and definitely a bit of a wild child. And by wild, I mean that she reportedly showed up at school one day wearing a bracelet of live snakes. <laughs> How does that work? No, 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 no I, I, stop, stop. How does that work? The, like, she commanded the snakes? I don't know. I guess she was a bit of a okay. snake charmer. Like, I, um, sorry, I, I didn't mean to it, completely throw you I, off there. I, but I'm just I, like, I think she probably just uh, enjoyed running the snakes up. Like, I've seen people like play with um, like corn snakes or something, and or or grass snakes. Play with okay. snakes, and they'll just like keep, you know, just like have them yeah, on their yeah. arm, and they'll keep moving them back down their arm. So, okay, but how did she make it into school with it? This this is a child. She probably picked it up on the way to school. Speaking from experience growing up in Montana when like there's just nothing to do for entertainment pre-internet. Like people would bring their dogs in and like everyone would meet the dog. And I distinctly remember in second grade, 
I don't remember who it was like the dad of one of the kids in class brought his Python in. And like, we had a half hour of just like, he was a dad. Like he didn't know anything scientific about the Python. He was just like, look, it's pretty cool. Don't put it around your neck. So like, I can attest that would absolutely happen. I do remember in fourth grade, in fourth grade, a kid in our class brought a bunny into school. I don't remember the context of that at all. And and this other kid brought a turtle and like we put we put him on top of the globe and just like spun the globe around. So it was like ah, we were terrible. Yeah, we were terrible. Yeah, the globe was supposed to be on top of the turtle. I get that reference. Ah, no, uh, we definitely had snakes brought into school, uh, but it was by like the zoo coming in for school visits, and they bring different animals in. La-dee-da, uh, Mr. We grew up near a zoo. Sorry. Well, so he, he also here, grew up well, near Disney World. No. Okay, no, I grew up in Jacksonville, which is still like four hours away from Disney World. Um, Florida is still a weird-shaped state that can be very long for one or the other. Um, you could have just stopped at weird. <laughs> especially now. Um, but no, no. It's speaking not that of weird. School, it's a flaccid penis. Speaking of growing up weird, Virginia was born in Maryland. Oh, God, had to be teased so bad for that. Well, you have to think Maryland 1906. So, I mean, I can't. Yeah, but her name was Virginia. She could have gone a few miles down, you know? I ate like an hour, but yes. Okay. Well, see, it's not that weird that she brought in live. which suburb, which suburb of Baltimore is she in? Do you know? Oh, I don't. Um, hold on, I got this. She went to Roland Park Country School. No, I don't got this. Baltimore, just that's all I know. Baltimore. You said Roland Park Country School. I want to say it was Newton. Hold on. Not Newton. Give me a second. Oh, I I'm have it. I'm looking at I it definitely... right now. Google Maps is firing up. It uh, looks like it's on the north end, kind of by Yorktown. Okay. Um, south of, of Townsend, Towson. Yeah, so that's on the... Nope, Parkton. They had a house in Parkton, and they had the farm nearby. There's no central heat. How dare they not have central heat? Okay, yeah, no, okay, okay. This is inside the Beltway. Um... Not that that would have mattered yet, but uh, <laughs> would would not have mattered yet. But it, I'm just kind of was curious if this was like inner city or if this was like Hamden or this is this is getting this, this wasn't uh, super deep Baltimore, but Baltimore enough for that way. All right. So she came from like a fairly well-to-do family, but her her dad wasn't great with money, and they had lost a lot of money. So her mom was kind of like. She really wanted Virginia to marry well and kind of like bring them back into, you know, money. Virginia was a daddy's girl through and through. And her father, Ned, let her run around the woods of the family's 110-acre property and even taught her how to hunt with a rifle. Her mother, Barbara, wanted Virginia to be a proper lady and expected her to marry into money. But Virginia was a bit of a rebel. And by rebel, I mean that she dumped her cheater fiancé to go follow her heart's desire for independence. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it turned out bad for him. Like, he got married, I think, three times, and they, he cheated on him. And, like, it was just bad. He was just not 
not someone you wanted to marry. Um, Virginia spent the next several years of her life soaking up as much knowledge as she could at a handful of top universities. Her studies brought her from Radcliffe College, which is basically the um, the girls' version of Harvard in Boston, and then Barnard College in New York City, which is the girls' version of Columbia, and graduate school in Washington, D.C. Sorry? What topics was she studying? She was studying uh, French and economics. Oh, cool. So, yeah, she also studied here and there at a few universities throughout Western Europe. Um, and she also learned several languages, although I've seen some research that said her French was pretty abysmal. <laughs> um, the travel American bug had been Baltimore. Her... You're not going <laughs> to iron it all out. She, uh, <laughs> they said that she could never drop her American accent. By American, I think they meant Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore dude, is very specific. Baltimore mm-hmm. is special. I do want to hear a French accent or a Baltimore French accent. That sounds... Oh, God. Can't even imagine it. <laughs> um, the travel bug bit her early because her parents used to take her to Europe as a kid. Um, her first time was as a toddler. And basically, France became her second country. She really loved it there. Okay, so this is the 1920s. So, you know, flappers are a thing. Um, fashion is going more towards a less feminine style. Uh, you know, the boxy flapper dresses, everything like that. Women finally have the right to vote. And you, this is the time when prohibition is in full swing. Um, so, you know, Europe sounds like a great place to be, to be from Gertrude Stein's salons to Ernest Hemingway's novels. Like Paris is just the epicenter of 1920s culture. Well, and I'm looking at some photos of her. One, this one's from 1924, actually. And she's got, like, the Amelie kind of bob haircut and, like, no makeup. Mm-hmm. Looks like someone, like, right out of now. It's pretty cool. But at this time, uh, so she finished her studies in Europe. And, you know, it was glamorous and fashionable and filled with parties. The 1920s, just she just embodied the 1920s rebelliousness and, and nonconformity. In France, she found herself at home. In Austria, she found herself in love with a young Polish officer named Emil. But Virginia's father, Ned, was against their union for reasons that are unclear. They never specified. And Virginia ended the relationship at his request. Nonetheless, she kept Emil's photo in her wallet for years afterwards, although she never heard from him again. And eventually she came to believe that he'd been slayed by Russia's secret police in 1940. So it doesn't look like it ended well for him. After her college years, Virginia returned home where things started to just go downhill. So the Great Depression hit hard. Uh, I believe she graduated in 29. So right on the brink of depression. And soon after that, her beloved father passed away. And her professional life wasn't going so well either. So Virginia's longtime dream was to become an ambassador with the U.S. Foreign Service, an organization that was famously difficult to get into, especially if you were a woman. So they, they took a very small percentage of women uh, and they couldn't be married. They had to be unmarried. If they got married, they had to leave. They had to be single women. Hmm. Virginia took the application test twice, once in December of 1929 and again in July of 1930. There's like a spacing, like the, you have to wait a certain amount of time between each attempt. Um, but she failed both times. Uh, and side note, although it's definitely an updated version to the one Virginia took, I found a U.S. Foreign Service practice test online 
And I took it the other day on my lunch break. And I apparently have a 25% chance of being selected. <laughs> yeah. You'd have, so to, I probably you'd, have leave, should... you'd have to leave Scott and your kids, though. That'd be a trade-off. True, true, true. Mm. Sorry, babe. I'm going to go uh, serve our country. You wouldn't be able to be away from these guys for 10 seconds. Yeah, I totally miss them. I could not. Sorry. Mm-mm. But Virginia was devastated, but she wasn't the kind of person who stayed in one place for long. And she switched course, sort of, and became a consular service clerk for the U.S. State Department, stationed first in Poland and just a few months later in Turkey. It was in Smyrna, Turkey, now called Izmir, where things would take a turn. Virginia was enjoying an early December outing hunting snipe in a Turkish marsh. Snipe are uh, wading birds. I also saw them referred to them as gal- galinago birds. They kind of look like ducks, but with very, very long, thin beaks and long legs. Uh, they're actually called snipe because they're pretty challenging to hunt, and you need to have sniper-like skills to shoot one. They also prefer oh, yeah, marshy lots of areas. Of them. Oh, sorry. They're kind of cute. Just lots of pictures of them standing in water. So I imagine you're pointing at the ground. Do they fly? They do. And they f- actually fly in a zigzag pattern. So okay. that, that makes it even harder to get them. And yeah, they prefer these uh, marshy areas and wetlands, which aren't very easy for hunters to navigate. And maybe that's why what happened is what happened. So the difficult landscape is probably to uh, blame. Okay. So perhaps the difficult landscape is what caused Virginia to trip that day, setting off the gun at her side and shooting her in the left leg. Now I'm all nervous that I got the wrong leg. Like now I'm like, oh my God, was it the right leg? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was left though. Um, it wasn't long before gangrene set in, forcing doctors to amputate the leg below the knee in order to save Virginia's life. Um, she's 27 at this time. So she has to go back and move back in with her family at Boxhorn Farm in Maryland to recover and to learn how to walk on her new prosthetic leg, whom she named Cuthbert. Uh, and this wasn't a modern prosthetic by any means. This is one that was, you know, very clunky, uh, wooden, and basically attached with this sort of harness that went all the way around her hip. Like, it, it did not sound comfortable. Yeah, no, that's interesting about the, well, and for like non-disabled listeners too, like just looking at images of Cuthbert, like, yeah, the amount of leather and harnesses you would be wearing, so hot, especially in that Baltimore heat. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, compared to like modern day where we have suction cups and, you know, specialized casting molds and all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff, alleviates the amount of uh, coverage of our pores, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, it does not sound pleasant or customized, really. So, yeah, she went home to recover. But if we've learned anything about Virginia by this point, it's that she wasn't going to sit around and yield to social expectations, though her mother desperately wished she would. Anyway, less than a year after the accident, Virginia went back to work, this time stationed in Venice, Italy, where the gondola became her preferred method of transportation. A local named Angelo showed her how to steer the vessel, and so Virginia developed Ooh. her sea legs. Angelo sounds—that's that's a hot name. He sounds hot, right? They probably did. They probably <laughs> got it on on the gondola, gondolon. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna horrible. stop with the pun. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm sorry. 
Um, but yeah, no, like the gondola, um, because, you know, it's on the water and most people aren't used to being standing on a gondola or in a gondola rather, it sort of masked her limp a little bit. So people weren't able to tell right away when she was on it that because because Venice is a really walkable city and like she just lost her leg within the year, you know? Oh, yeah. So, well, and yeah. stairs can really get like just the people staring at you is just it gets exhausting. Like you just run low on energy, even if they're not like directly interacting with you. So like I can absolutely see him being like boat is my preferred mode of travel, especially if you have canals and stuff that make that available. Like Montana, yes. you'd be pretty limited in your services if you tried to only like gondola with Angelo. I don't know. Maybe um, you guys could just ski everywhere. That's my my idea of Montana is snow everywhere. <laughs> yeah, this year it's been that's the case. You still have snow out right now? Uh, we did a couple days ago. There's still some in the backyard too. Jesus! Oh my gosh! Yeah, we, we got four inches on like you know three or four days ago. Oh my gosh! We have the AC on. Now, remember that dream she had of becoming an ambassador with the U.S. Foreign Service? The one that I had a 25% chance of making it into? Mm -hmm. Well, while an assignment in Italy, Virginia tried once again to take the exam because, you know, third time's a charm, right? But she was disappointed to learn that she was automatically rejected because of a rule that prohibited amputees from working for the organization. Undeterred, Virginia now on assignment in Estonia, appealed the decision and pulled some strings to make sure her message got all the way to the desk of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt, who incidentally was also physically disabled, was not amenable to her request and stood by the Foreign Service and their arbitrary rule. So a little bit of irony there for you. Well, I Disheartened mean, she, by... yeah. Go ahead. What year was this too? Because like this might have been, I, I don't know. 37. Okay, so like right before or during kickoff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Disheartened by the rejection and tired of still being a clerk with no promotion after years of work, Virginia left her job to move back to Paris and map out a new plan for her life. She didn't have to think about it for long, though, because just a few months later, on September 1st, 1939, Adolf Hitler invaded Poland, and France declared war on Germany two days after that. Virginia sprung into action, enlisting in the... No, I'm going to butcher this French. Service sanitaire de l'armée, as an oh, ambulance that's Baltimore driver. Good. That's Baltimore good. <laughs> Baltimore good! <laughs> yeah, I, I tried. She risked yeah, her own yeah. life to help... <laughs> well, before we, before we get roasted by people in uh, Maryland or from Baltimore. I did live in Maryland for, I think, 16 years in total over two times and I've spent my fair chunk of time in Baltimore. Yeah, I should I should also give background that, like, I have two aunts who've lived there their entire, like, my, my entire life. And so, you know, I've spent months visiting them and I first learned about humidity out in Baltimore. Oh, I first learned about <laughs> humidity in Florida. Ooh. Ooh. She risked her life to help treat the wounded on the front lines and take them back to safety. Once Paris fell to Hitler's army in mid-June, Virginia went to England to work at the U.S. Embassy in London. On her way there, she met a British intelligence officer and impressed him enough that he recruited her for the Special Operations Executive, or SOE. 
Her first disguise was as a New York Post reporter. Sorry, what? Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to interject. Take that, FDR. Yeah. You dirty dog. Fuck you and your new deal. Well, and to be fair, you know, two entirely separate sets of circumstances where it's like, we're not at wartime versus we're at wartime. So, Oh, yeah. Well, they weren't at wartime when he rejected her. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, they weren't as in need. True, true. Well, it's wartime hits. It's like everyone. I guess. Well, we'll see. Okay, so... Her uh, her first disguise was as a New York Post reporter in Vichy, France. This allowed her to speak to locals without being too suspicious or conspicuous. Um, interestingly, she did actually write articles for the Post during this time, and she did use her real name for publication, so Virginia Hall. So basically, she used her real name when working as a reporter, but secret identities when doing spy stuff. <laughs> she encoded messages and sent them via telegram, and then later she had a contact at the New York Post who gave her secret messages to British intelligence. She also founded a circuit called Heckler in Lyon, France. The mission of the secret network was to inform, supply, and assist the French resistance in the fight against the Nazis. Some of Virginia's first recruits to Heckler included a gynecologist and a brothel owner, both of whom proved instrumental in advancing the goals of the resistance. It turned out that the German patrons of the latter's establishment grew a little loose-lipped in bed, and so the sex workers passed on any relevant information to those within the spy network. It's funny that when we study history in a formal setting, they tend to leave out the part where women, disabled people, and sex workers help save the day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Clutch your pearls a little harder, I guess. All fair in love and war, right? And it would take real ingenuity to even survive much less carry out dangerous missions in a war-torn country. Perhaps one of the most impressive feats Virginia accomplished was facilitating a jailbreak to save an imprisoned fellow spy, or, you know, 12 imprisoned spies. Virginia had the wife of one of the prisoners, who would visit him often and bring him food and other small comforts, hide tools in the packages that the prisoners would then use to free themselves. And some of those same spies Virginia helped ex- escape to England would later found SOE networks of their own. So, cool. What does SOE mean? Uh, special Operation... Wait. Uh, sorry. I had it. I forget. I have so many acronyms here. Special Operations Executive. So, they're the ones... Okay. Uh, the underground French kind of... Uh, French resistance workers. Virginia went by various aliases during her years with the SOE, but perhaps the most interesting is the nickname given to her by the local French, La Dame Quibotte, which I butchered, I definitely butchered, or the Limping Lady. And that became the moniker written on the wanted posters that began to appear around Vichy, France, posters that featured Virginia's likeness and demanded her capture, calling her, quote, the most dangerous allied agent. Yes, the oh, one who awesome. fueled yes, uh-huh. Yes, the one who fueled these Nazis' nightmares was none other than a disabled woman in her thirties. Gestapo Yeah, now she was there's actually a, uh, one of the books that I was looking through when finding the information it was called Badass, uh codename Badass, and I thought it was pretty appropriate. That's Gestapo great. yeah. Gestapo chief Claus Barbie became obsessed oh. with finding and destroying <laughs> Virginia. Can you just and, say that sentence again? Not even for yes. the edit. I just want to hear that man's name one more time. Sure. Gestapo chief 
Claus Barbie became what a obsessed. Piece of shit. <laughs> became obsessed with finding and destroying Virginia. And I mean, you know, someone's probably on the right side of history when they declare you public enemy number one. I'm sorry. You know, sorry. Fuck. I can't speak today. You know, someone is probably on the right side of it. You know, someone's probably on the right side of history when a Nazi declares them public enemy number one. Anyway, Claus Barbie, whose name doesn't exactly strike fear into my heart because it makes me think of a special edition holiday themed doll. Mm-hmm. Um, had a more on-brand nickname, the Butcher of Leon. And his goal... I'm sorry. And he would get personally involved in sadistically tor- torturing his enemies. His goal at the time was to torture none other than our girl Virginia. He was quoted saying, I would give anything to get my hands and on that limping Canadian bitch. Which is pretty offensive because Virginia was American, not Canadian. Uh, yeah. But anyway... Exactly. <laughs> The point is, Virginia and the whole operation, too, were in grave danger, and things went from bad to worse when a network through which Virginia had been sending secret messages was infiltrated by a Roman Catholic priest, a double agent who was also serving the wrong side, by which I mean the Nazis, but also probably the devil. But with Barbie and his Nazi gang hot on her heels, Virginia had to go, and quickly. In November of 1942, she made her way through the ice and snow and impossibly difficult terrain of the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain. Now, I can't imagine how awful it must have felt to wear and put pressure on a prosthesis for a 50-plus mile hike. I went to a wedding a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know it sounds terrible. I went to a wedding a couple years back and kept my arm on for the entire day, and I had a huge, painful, ugly blister on my arm when I took it off at the end of the night. It was bad. And that was under... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that's under far better conditions where I'm not putting weight on that body part. So that formed on its, on its own, but I, I can't imagine just being like constantly on it for that long. It was all the dancing we were doing. That's why you got the blister. We're going swinging your arms like crazy. Well, and added to the fact that, you know, something was Barbie and his Nazi gang. I'm sorry. Uh, was hot on her heels, so you had to like just hike through it, despite hot spots and pressure sores and all sorts of nastiness. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The other day, I I was singing the Barbie Girl song in my head, but replaced it with "Come on, Bobby, you're a Nazi." Ooh, that plays nice. <laughs> so. I, but he's hiking. He's hiking through the mountains, going, "Come on, Bobby, you're a Nazi." Like, yeah, no, I can get behind that. That's 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 a good time. Not not personally, but I could hear him doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in any case, she made it. Virginia finally reached Spain, and surprise, surprise, she got arrested for illegally crossing the border. Um, luckily, the U.S. Embassy arranged her release, and Virginia was free again. And what do you think she did with that new taste of freedom following the harrowing experiences she just had for several years as a spy? If you thought anything other than return to France, then you don't know our girl Virginia. And when the SO And when the SOE refused to send her back, Virginia applied for a job with the American Office of Strategic Services or OSS. So she took a course um on how to operate the wireless the um give me a second yeah she took like my dad just now 
How do I operate the wireless? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she took a, a class on uh, wireless operating and... Sorry, this is wireless course. So, anyway, this is where my script ends. So, she took a course. <laughs> um, she took a wireless course and signed up for the OSS. So, she did go back into France. Um, this time, she disguised herself as an old woman. So, she learned how to walk in a way that was more like a shuffling instead of like a limp. So, she would just look that's, old and not crippled. That's genius. That's like her critically, like doing some critical thinking in terms of like her wanted like her wanted status, her nickname, and then being like, okay, what gels within that type of movement? Oh, mm -hmm. ace, Virginia. Nice work. Mm -hmm. And she, she dyed her hair so that she looked very old and she put on all this makeup so that she looked very wrinkly and she filed down her teeth so that she would look Ooh. like an old peasant woman. Yeah, I know. I know. It Ooh. was that is, that is She was committed. Just late night in the bathroom. Just yeah. Oh, good yeah. lord. Oh. Uh yeah. Hey, thank you for that. That's a good detail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um she had a little more trouble with this mission because it was she faced a lot of sexism. There it was hard for her to be taken seriously as a woman by the other people that she was in charge of. And, you know, once she started uh, making progress with her mission and organizing and getting the supplies, um, they started to respect her a little more, but still it was just a classic case of sexism doing her dirty. She also was big on sabotage. So that was one of the key elements of her mission, which they were like cut phone lines, turn out the lights, you know, things like that, cut cords on enemies uh apartments and any any location that she knew the enemies were going to be so she had her group do that just shuffling Later, around like with a babushka and a pair of wire snippers just that's an old lady <laughs> crazy yeah. old lady she, cutting all the wires did she ever get a second nickname uh, like shuffling susan or something oh <laughs> my god no she was called i want to say uh, i forgot what they called her it was a positive nickname it was like the the saint of something uh, so the nazis didn't brand her which is what you're saying for the second. no no she was not okay. caught she was not she managed to get through it and then later with one of the guys on her in her network his name was paul gillow they traveled together to Austria to kind of uh, further um, ensure support for the resistance and to make sure that, you know, people were on board with the same ideas. Um, then she uh, left the OSS, married Paul, the guy she went with to Austria in 1950, and then joined a pretty new organization called the CIA. So, Virginia okay. Hall. What, yeah. What year did she join the CIA? She joined the CIA in 1947. Okay. Which would mean oh, man. that of... it was the year it was formed. Interesting. Yeah. Not long after so the bomb dropped. She... I imagine there's some, yeah. Yeah. Clandestine yeah, so she... on the path to Cold War. Sorry. There, I didn't catch a whole lot uh on her, like i didn't read up a whole lot on her time in the cia because it was towards the end of her life and 
she worked there until, hold on. She was with the CIA until 66. Oh, well, she, it wasn't towards the end of her life. I'm thinking like old school lifespan. <laughs> no, she's, she was there for a pretty good while. Um, it was hard too. She did face a lot of sexism. She got like a, a really bad uh, score on an observation when that person never even came to observe her or see what she was doing. So there was still a lot of that. So as much as, you know, we want to say, oh, wow, this was a disabled woman who was essentially the first woman in the CIA. Um, she had a much harder time with being a woman than when being disabled. I'd venture to say. First person through the door always catches flack. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was tough. But she retired in 1966 and settled down with her husband, Paul Guillot in maryland where she died peacefully in rockville maryland in the year 1982 at the age of 78 sorry 76 her i can't count okay. her obituary <laughs> okay. photos she's rocking like a black and white striped striped uh blazer that i just want to say looks beautiful she's really owning it it's got flowers on it hey we've been Which to rockville a lot of time in Rockville. Yeah. We have climbed in Rockville. Mm-hmm. They never had children, but she did. Um, a lot of the sources I looked into spoke to her niece, Lorna Catling. I love the name Lorna. It's so nice. That's uh, Yes, name. I actually had not seen this picture. Because she... Oh, because that's not her. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that one random lady, hats off to you and your jacket. Oh, my. <laughs> you didn't look her I'll off. leave that. I'll leave that. I'll leave that. I was wondering. I was a little bit of a different demeanor. I'll leave that to Scott if I stay in it or not. I old lady. Bro, I'm trying to Google if it suits while we're going. I, I have learned I a did? lesson. <laughs> Uh, I did have like several pictures set to the side so I could show you guys, and then I never ended up putting them online. Let me transfer them into the Discord right now. Okay. So, yeah, visuals are like <laughs> just kind of stepping out of, of recording mode for a moment. Like, visuals are a super easy cue for like the listeners to like find stuff to riff on. Yeah, you're right. I apologize. I should have thought. No. <laughs> I struggled oh God, with this one. I don't know why. Considered. So, considered. Uh, I'm just looking through uh, a variety of things. I definitely saved them. I'm looking oh, through a variety of things. Spot. It looks like they actually, uh, someone did a film on her. Oh, yes. 20, I saw this. I was going to cite my sources. Um, yeah, so in 2019, the film A Call to Spy came out with Sarah Megan Thomas as Virginia Hall. And I think they did a pretty good job. Um, it was a really good movie. They also talked about uh, Noor, who was uh, another spy with um, recruited by Vera Atkins. And Vera Atkins was actually the inspiration for Ian Fleming's uh, Miss Moneypenny in the James Bond novels. Oh, can you say the name of that movie in, in New again, if that's okay? Sure. The, a, a Call to Spy in 2019 yeah where sarah megan thomas played virginia hall there's also reportedly supposed to be a movie coming out 
with Daisy Ridley from Star Wars as Virginia Hall, but I haven't seen much movement on that. I also looked, th- uh, I got a lot of my research from this uh, former CIA, this retired CIA officer, uh, Craig Growley, who wrote a fictionalized version of Virginia Hall's life called Hall of Mirrors. Wait, so a man um, and then I also- wrote a fictionalized account of, uh- Oh, that's that's like galaxy brain mansplaining. That's <laughs> hats off to you, sir. I did not read the book, but his research on her is pretty good and pretty in depth okay, to the point yeah. where he actually he and his wife did the hike uh, through the Pyrenees Mountains, oh, wow. which I keep wanting to say Pyrenees like the dog, but but Google tells me it's Pyrenees. But whatever. Um, so yeah, he actually even even did the whole hike and everything. And then there's another book i uh perused and it was um a woman of no importance by sonia pernell that one i think it was very well researched but i also think she jumps to some interesting conclusions she um and craig Grally mentions this too in an, in a review he did of it she jumps to conclusions like about how virginia's loss of her leg really pushed her to keep going forward and to keep, you know, persisting and, and, you know, trying to get into the foreign service and going back to France when she probably was better off staying. Uh, although not for the war, the war, she did well for herself in going, um, cut this all out. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, my point is, words are hard. My point is that, uh, Sonia Purnell kind of made the jump in saying that, Virginia losing her leg was this big catalyst in her life that made her a very determined person. And from everything I've read, it just sounds like it it wasn't. It sounds like who she was as a person before she lost yeah. her leg. Like she was already she, was, she had already taken that test twice. Uh so I don't think that her leg was what motivated her to do what she did. No, I, I, I think I agree with that. She was already a really determined person. This just became an extra chip on her shoulder. I don't know if I would even call it a chip on her shoulder, honestly. Like, I think it was... Yeah, I see what you mean. It was almost worse for her to be female than for her to be disabled. And both of them at the same time was, you know, it's a double whammy. Uh, Okay, so she did receive... She received the... What do you call it? Hold on. The distinguished... She received the Distinguished Service Cross in 1945 from OSS Chief General Donovan. And here's a picture of that now. I'm going to put that in the Discord. She didn't want to attract a lot of um, attention. And she didn't make a big deal of her life. It wasn't until after her death that people started paying attention to her story. And even to this day, like it's kind of crazy how like we're not taught about her in school. <laughs> what yeah, she did well, so much. I might have to... That might have to do with her her move into the CIA and espionage a little bit, um, in terms of like getting her name out there. Because yeah, I'd heard I've never heard of her before. Uh, so well, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting because um, I've been reading through some of her awards as well. And um, you mentioned uh, the Distinguished Service Cross, nineteen forty five, which is the only one awarded to a civilian woman in World War Two. In World War Two, mm-hmm. and and. Truman wanted to do a public award of the medal, but she didn't want to. She did not want that, yes. Yeah. 
There was another award that she received that she it was right after she came back from being in the um, SOE and she did not want to do any kind of ceremony because she thought it would compromise her even more were she yeah. to go back to Paris, which she did. Some of her biggest like, red sorry, lifting France, lady. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that limping lady taught her a lot in terms of the moniker and stuff. Keeping a low profile. Anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. she um, definitely got better recognition post-mortem, but that's about how it always is, right? You yeah. Know, so let me I'm looking show through you... some of it. Here, I'm going to send some photos to you guys. I'll describe them. So she was a total babe. Let me show you her picture when she was younger. This was pro- I think this was her... Um, one of her passport photos. This was her younger. She has like really nice eyebrows. Um, thank you. I'm she... glad. Um, thank you for validating that. I felt bad calling her a sm- Though to be fair, the photo I saw she was putting on the look. Um, but yeah, no, she's a very pretty lady. Mm-hmm. And let me show you. Okay, so this is her in high school. She was into theater. Here she is, the pirate, on the far right in the photo. So, I totally, this photo kind of, this photo speaks to me because, I don't know, have you guys received it yet? Can you see it on your end? Uh, I'm looking at it now. It's great. Yeah. So, this photo speaks to me because I also went to an all-girls school and also did theater at an all-girls school. So, I'm, I was so used to playing the male role at times. And so, I love that it was like, oh, it's like, it, it's like a, a picture of my past, but like a blast from like the long distant past if that makes sense so she was the pirate chief on the right oh that's great i gotta say the one leaning up against the window is <laughs> the one leaning up against the window is is putting out particularly good vibes and we'll post this all all of this to our facebook and socials by the way so you can take a look yeah they had much better costumes than our department ever did uh I also wanted to say that she was honored and she's in the CIA museum, the spy museum. And mm-hmm. well, I wanna, hold on. I want to point out something about that because I'm reading through some of that stuff real quick because I'm curious. So the CIA museum gives five operatives individual sections in its catalog and she is one of them. And then yes. the other four are, are men who went on to head the CIA. So that gives you an idea of like, her impact. Pe- her impact and people recognizing it more so down the line, you know, how it always is, just how, how much impact she had. And then the CIA actually named a field agent training facility after her as well. After her, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to say, hold on, where is it? Okay, so her, the the Virginia Hall exhibit in the CIA museum, the spy museum is actually, it features um, added accessibility. So it does, um, it's, it has, fuck, what was it that I was gonna say about this? I know that I saw and I thought it was interesting. So there is a uh, touch aspect to it. So they have some like raised pictures and encourage, uh, touch so that people who are visually impaired or blind can also experience the exhibit. I do believe this is the first time that they've done this at that museum. So I think it's pretty oh, that's, cool that that's cool. the disabled person has an exhibit that is that features extra accessibility. Yeah. No, and a good note for listeners that are in the area too that want to check it out. 
Though you will be put on a list if you're going to the museum, I'm sure. <laughs> go, go touch things. Go, go. Yeah, I thought I had more pictures, but my phone decided to scroll all the way up. And also, <laughs> one of the boys deleted pictures off my Oh, here is the account. So it was put in the newspaper, an account of her accident. And look at this necklace she's wearing. It's super pretty. So this is when she was... 27 and had just lost her leg. It was reported in the news. Victim of accident in Turkey. Interesting. So this was before the amputation? No, it was after. Oh, okay. No, I think this was right after. How long between the the accident and the, the, the gap of time between the accident and then gangrenous to amputation? That I don't know. That I wasn't okay. clear on. That's and I don't know yeah, if that's okay. Yeah, and again, this was a secret mission. I don't think, like, I know she wasn't conscious for a lot of it. So it's not like it was, the reporting is a little bit mis- mishmashy and, like, weird. Like, even there were some things where um, in Sonia Purnell's and in Craig Grally's books, like, that they did some extra research and they went through some um, archives that aren't really accessible to the general public. So, I don't well, even know like if that's gangrene, out there. Gangrene can even appear as early as 48 hours is what I'm looking at via. Oh, wow. I mean, um, so I would that makes not... sense, like, especially if you're hunter, hunting snipe in like a wet. Oh, yeah. Dog wet, area, yeah, I was like, I was just going to say. You get hit with shot, which you might not be able to pick all of it out as opposed to like one bullet. Um, so yeah, no, okay. I get it now. This might've happened really, really quickly, especially with medicine back at that time. Okay. She's in the water. She's, and she fell like she shot herself, like probably somewhere like, yeah, she's not on dry ground. That doesn't sound sanitary. Um, here's a colorized photo that I found that this is more recently colorized, but there you go. That's for Kevin. I like, Um, I like how her face just exudes just like. Don't met like I'm not here for your. Don't BS. fuck with like, me. Hold on. Yeah, here's she's what, absolutely don't fuck with like me. A, pr- a lady here, on a mission for sure. Here's what my brain was expecting as you go from talking about, um, you, you go from talking about, you know, gangrene and in the water, and you go, here's a colorized photo. I'm like, of her wound right after she shot herself. I wish I love seeing wound pictures and like gore. Um. She, I married it. <laughs> I didn't say it turned me on. I just said I like seeing it. Okay. Important distinction. I wasn't assuming. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I meant to tell you, my kid went all Clinton Tarantino and bit me in the toe today. Oh, gross! It took me a second. No, I was like, it'll get off. Thing. So this is a photo of uh, from high school, um, Roland Park Country School, and Virginia. She was on the basketball team. She is in the top uh, second from right. So she they seems all pretty look really tall. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Those they're... stupid little scarves, though. I hate. Them. I don't know. It gives them a jaunty sea fashion. At first, I thought they were like a regatta team, but yes, the basketball. Oh, yeah, they... things. They look like sailors. Yeah, they got that Donald Duck looking outfit. Um, what do you call what? it? Yeah, my what? favorite like historical sports picture, though, is uh, Scott's going to have to send it to you one day. His grandmother played basketball. Um, Scott, how old was your grandma? How, like, what year would that have been? 
Oh, that was in high school. So she she was born in twenty five, so forty five. She'd have been in the for, early forties. She's got the uniform on. She looks really cool and like really pretty. And then she's got nylon stockings under the uniform, oh. like pantyhose. I was like, oh my goodness. Hot though. Oh my god, especially if you're playing basketball. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some documents, too. This one didn't save super well. Oh, here is her yearbook page. Her quote, because what else would you expect? Her quote in the yearbook was, I must have liberty with all as large a charter as I please. As large a charter? That's dope. That's a really good... <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to say. Like... That's her. That's her. She said that oh, in okay. her... Yeah. Um, they called her Dindy at home. I'm not sure why they called her Dindy, but that was like her childhood nickname. And that's her as a little kid feeding the chickens. Oh. Yeah, she's super cute. So how do how do we rate this one? You know, we, we, we kind of uh had some interesting rating systems for a couple of the previous ones. How do you rate Virginia Hall? Oh, I mean, I'd give her, you know, easily 8,000 points. <laughs> On what scale? Point we, we, we handed out Olympic medals. We've, um, we've done a few things. What the... No, I would, I would, I would uh, mark her, uh, her rating as classified, I think, is the most... Classified. Oh, rating. fair. Yeah. Oh, it's it's, uh, old, old it's encoded. Uh-huh. It's written in code. Encrypted. No. There you go. Yeah. No, she's a pretty pretty badass. Yeah. Pretty badass. Very, very cool lady. Uh, but yeah, looking at her, like her photos and the look she's constantly giving the camera, just like just get it done. Like she, I, I absolutely think like she would have had this path regardless of the the foot loss or not. Yes, I agree. Especially with, you. with I that th- last high school uh, uh, quote, which mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of before. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So her grandfather was actually he had a a a clipper ship, I believe they're called, and his, her father used to sneak on it as a little boy. <laughs> and I guess she just got that same energy. That's cool. Sure, I got a lot of this information, most of this information from Craig Grally's website. He has like this whole um section of a blog devoted to Virginia Hall. Um, and he's the one who did the, he wrote a fictionalized version of Virginia Hall's biography. Oh, cool. All right. Well, that's the life and times of Virginia Hall. That was awesome. Thank you, Kate. Um, so we have the, the extra reading. Um, what was the name of that movie one more time? I'm interested. In the a Call to Spy. It's, I think it, hopefully by the time we publish this, it's still on Netflix. Oh, cool. Um, well, cool. And we'll obviously post all that stuff on our Facebook. Speaking of, you can uh, find us on Facebook at Lame History and on Instagram at Lame History Podcast. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you later. Are you also going to say goodbye? You gotta say goodbye. (laughs) I'm really bad at goodbyes. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's good. That's good enough. (laughs) Take care, everyone. (laughs) Later. Um, If you have any questions, ideas for a show, corrections, 
Uh, email us at lamehistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're always interested in hearing about additional research, corrections, or episode ideas. So thanks for listening, and please stay lame, everybody.